guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. Got a fun news episode for you guys today. Um, we actually call up one of my friends, Chad Erickson, the owner of SCIPerformance.com, to talk about a listener question. That's right. We're uh, actually giving advice this episode, and we're talking about SpaceX. We're talking about Rivian going to the middle of nowhere. We're kind of going to talk about Velocity Stacks. We're, we we we're talking about Velocity Stacks. No, we certainly yeah, are. Yeah. And, oh, and Santa. Santa yeah, as well. There you go. Let's. Uh, before we get into that, what have you got for us? Yeah, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash overcrest. For as little as $5 a month, you can get exclusive content never heard before on the show. You can get stickers, access to the latest swag, and most of all, you're supporting the content creators that you actually enjoy. Um, you go to Netflix and you pay for Netflix for what? What is Netflix now? Like $14 a month? It's ridiculous. Ours is five bucks a month. You get even more content and you support the show. You are literally the ones You're that keep the lights on here. Directly supporting the creator. Directly. That's you're supporting the podcast. You're not we, supporting Netflix, with, which then gives ten percent of the proceeds to the creators, whatever they do to screw all those probably, guys over. Yeah, you not know, great. If you're giving it directly to the creators, and like I always say, if you're not supporting us, find someone else to support. Just do it. It's the it's the best way to go about supporting the creators that you love. So yeah, as you alluded to, I had a question from one of my coworkers actually, and I'd I'd heard this from actually a couple different people in the last couple of weeks, and I'll just quote my coworker Megan said how often do I need to make sure I drive my car with the quarantine I literally go nowhere when my husband goes somewhere he takes his car and so she drove to uh the park this weekend and she realized it was the first time she'd ever driven her car in like six weeks and rather than Chris and I just basically baffling everyone with bullshit I thought we'd talk to an actual qualified mechanic Chad from SCI Hi there, guys. How are you doing today? Very, very we are good. good. So, so what happens with these with these cars that sit? You know, wh how long can a car sit before you need to worry about something going on? Since this, nobody's leaving their house anymore. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I would say it. Well, it, you, you can't really start at like you know six weeks. I really wouldn't be too concerned. Uh, with the newest, uh, with the latest cars, I guess I've had customers with dead batteries after honestly two to even two to four weeks. You know, in between two and four weeks, where they'll have a dead battery. So you'd have to be at least concerned about a, some type of a battery tender, you know, the new, and you definitely don't want to leave a key anywhere near a new car because uh, the car will keep trying to access that key. Oh, really? Yeah. So like my, my wife's Atlas, if she leaves her key in the car, um, the car keeps trying to, you know, have the steering wheel unlocked and do all kinds of stuff. And it just, it's, she's had all kinds <laughs> of problems. Jeez. Yeah, well, you, well, you know, I'm sorry. She has not had problems, but we have customers that have had problems. Sure. Here. They leave their keys in their car. Um, overnight and the batteries will be dead. You know, I've, honestly, I've had it here at the shop where I've left the, I just forgot and left the car with a key, you know, in the, you know, not in the ignition, but just on the front seat and uh, batteries dead in the morning. And wow. it's, it's, it's cause the car just doesn't, uh, doesn't go to sleep as they say, you know, it's a, you want to, you want to get the key away from it and let it, uh, let it sleep. So bring the key in the house, wrap it in aluminum foil, <laughs> <laughs> build a Faraday cage. <laughs> yeah, so, so obviously the biggest issue is your battery going dead. Uh, yeah. The modern, the most modern stuff for sure. Yeah. Okay. How long should a battery last just sitting in a car? I mean, good Lord, it, it, sh it should be, you know, months without even having to worry about it. You know, I mean, good, my 911 sits in, this gr in storage and I just hook the battery up and start it up and drive out, you know. 
So, yeah, but it doesn't have 77 control modules. I want to I get a recording of me saying that because it sounded awesome. My 911. Uh, but it's you know any any car that's in storage, it, you know it, it should be it should be fine over like a, over especially in our Minnesota winters. I've had cars that are fine. Uh, the next spring, just leaving the battery in it, disconnected of course, but in it. Um, but a new car, you, you definitely don't want to wait too long. You know it's it's really a, can be a problem. I mean I've Chris knows this, but I I got a I got a my my car just came back to me a car I sold 17 years ago and that car sat too long. It sat eight years and it needs. This uh, is your you quantum know. synchro Volkswagen. Yes, yeah, with the turbo motor swap that so, I did many years back, and he let that sit for he let it sit for eight years, and the uh, uh, the sediment and, and the oxidization on the pulleys was so much so great that every time you rotated the crankshaft, it it, it skipped the belt one tooth forward. So you would, uh, you know, cranking and cranking and cranking. It's basically, you know, after you cranked it 30 times, it's it's off 100%. So it's it runs through all the valves. We couldn't it's, figure out what that was at first. Like, what wow. is causing this infinitely variable valve timing? I know. I thought it was like this is super high tech. I'm gonna make that many thousands of dollars. I'm gonna, I'm gonna patent this somehow. And then, uh, no, it yeah, it was horrible. So it sat for too long. And, and of course, it's all about the where it sits too. If you've got a garage that's damp or I just got stuff in it, you know, or, you know, moisture, you know, you've had moisture problems in, you know, the fuel lines, you can have all kinds of problems with older cars, you know, that's it. So it's uh, new stuff is all plastic fuel lines and it's not, it's not even something you have to even think about, I guess. When do you have to worry about like seals starting to break down? When does gas go bad? Like, can you leave a car sit for a year? Uh, no, gas, no, gas is no good in th- in four months, I think. Yeah, you would. Yeah, you don't want to leave you know, fuel, especially in, in a modern car too, because most of those are running. You know, at, you know the the cra- you know, most people put just the crappiest fuel <laughs> in the car. Every turbo car that comes in the shop, and I and they talk about performance problems. And I was just you know I say, well, you know, where do you run for fuel? Well, I got eighty eight in it today. I'm like, well, that's <laughs> that's not that's, good. That's that's three points under what Volkswagen says it has to have. And there's also most 88s in, in Minnesota, at least, are like 15% ethanol. So it's mm. it's 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 you know it's just it's not it's not op, it's not optimum, especially you, know, you think about that stuff too sitting, and uh, you know all the the ethanol whatever sitting it's never it's never any good. So right, well it attracts water and 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 loses its volumetric efficiency faster than normal gasoline yeah, it's ever just, would. Yeah, it's not good stuff. Do we need to worry sure. about like rubber bushings and timing belts and stuff what like are your, that? What about like tires flat spotting? Isn't that a thing too after a while? Uh, you know, if it's, good Lord, if you're letting the car sit that long, you're, you've got a bigger problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how long until your tires flat spot, Chad? I, I can't. I have, there's no way to know. I mean, it, any car can can do it you know it just depends on how hard or how soft how big is your chest freezer that you are not going to the grocery (laughs) store for so long that your tires are flat amazon delivers my groceries now so theoretically i don't have to go anywhere no i would say that you would really it'd really be hard to do that and it's uh i mean on my car when it comes out of storage but the little rabbit that i have in storage that one is uh the tires are i don't want to say they're soft but they're it does feel kind of a little shaky for the first uh yeah, I don't know, probably first fifty to one hundred miles, but then it's it, it pretty much dissipates after a couple burnouts. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's our consumer advice. Yeah, don't keep your key by your car and do a burnout afterwards. <laughs> You're all set. You're all set. Yeah. That's what I'll, I'll have to put that into like our, our handouts that we give here at the shop for the winter stuff. We'll have to. You can add that to the version two of the the book by famous author Chad Erickson. Correct. Yeah. 
yeah. how to how to how to keep your Volkswagen alive. Do burnouts <laughs> <laughs> every four months. Yeah. It's all about Italian tune-ups. And- <laughs> <laughs> burnouts, yeah. Chad, thanks for uh, letting us call you. We'll talk okay. to you. Uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, sounds good. All, all right, right, thanks. Bye. One thing I forgot to ask Chad about is if the cold exacerbates any of these issues. I well, mean, do you remember going for a ride in my car, the Velocity Stack Hell Ride that we went on? Yeah, where it almost didn't start, or actually, then it didn't start. <laughs> no, it started fine. Once I put a jump pack on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I killed the battery by leaving the lights on for two weeks in a row. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so dumb. Um, but the uh, what was the first thing you said when we pulled up the first stop sign over there? I don't remember. You go, man, your car has a lot of rattles. Oh, yeah. And that's not, they're not always there. No. Because it's so damn cold. That everything contracts. shrunk. I've got more wind noise. I've got more <laughs> rattles. The thing is jostling all over the place. So, I mean, that can't be good for your car. I Probably not. Probably I mean, anything rattling not. more is gonna cause more wear. I would assume. Yeah, pro- I don't know. Probably. Anyways, yeah. But there's your there's your advice for yeah, do the a burnout. Do a burnout and don't keep your keys near your modern yeah, car. But realistic, we're just talking about the only thing we're really gonna be concerned about in the short term is gas. Really, just the degradation of fuel is what the main problem. Did is you know be. manufacturers say you should replace your brake lines every three years? Come on. I read that somewhere. I've driven cars that I pulled out of a field for 10,000 miles with the original brake lines that were probably sitting in the dirt. <laughs> have you ever lost a brake line while you're driving? I cannot say I have. I did in the 911. Wow. I, well, I lost oh, the, that's right. No, you, it, was the, it was the master cylinder. Master we talked cylinder about that. failed. Yeah. God, that was awful driving from Nebraska to here with no brake. your e-brake wasn't even that great until we uh, adjusted it. was better it. then. It, by the time you adjusted so, Oh, so now it was bad because you were using your e-brake? Probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, what's, the problem was is that you don't realize you're driving. You're like, I don't have any brakes. It's fine. I'm on the freeway. Big yeah. Until you forget until you, you need forget, your brakes. And you get off the freeway and you're going 75 miles an hour and you have no brakes. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> And you just have to, like, all of a sudden you're rev matching to like 7,000 RPMs because you need to stop. By what? Yeah, it's never, never, never. Speaking great. of revving, did I hear that I you. Did, I did. I did a thing. You did a thing. I did a thing. What did you do? I was, uh, I bought a set of cams. Okay. And this was after our velocity stack discussion and after learning a lot more about how carburetors work, doing research on the velocity stacks. Okay. I realized that, that you- and I kind of knew this. Like I kind of <laughs> knew I've got fuel, like CIS or fuel injection camshafts, which oh. are made to run with CIS. They're made to run with, right. and we talked about the, the, the metering the plate metering issue. Plate not bouncing all over the place. Yeah. My cams are basically... Um, a 964 stock cam. Okay. Or I don't know what grind you'd call it if you were sure. buying a, a branded cam or whatever. It was very, Ironically, very I have a page up talking about camshafts and the different profiles for each gen because now you got me on a wild hair. Oh, so you chase. can have more than six horsepower in your nine? Yeah. Is that what you're after? Yeah, that's what I was after. But uh, 964. 964 is a 911 from 1989. You have the 248 232. Something like that. They're not actually 964 cams because they're, I think the this the, says, jur- the journaling is different, but the, the camshaft itself is made to have that profile. Gotcha. This says it's for a hot 3.2, which is what you have. Yeah, but it's very mid-rangey. It's very, okay. t- very mid-rangey, very torquey. This is, I, I bought a, uh, a webcam 12104, which is a, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, my, my friend told me that the, 
Uh, actually, it was it, it was Chad and the buddies were talking about uh, we were t- when I got the cams, I brought them in. I'm like, hey, check out the cams, whatever we got. The yeah. And uh, he goes, oh, those are three quarter race, not full race. So they're almost a full race cam, not quite a full race cam. <laughs> they're only three quarter race. I, I doubt they actually classify them as such. I guess that's what old old school hot rod guys used to say is they say they have a full race cam or they have a three quarter race cam. Which Could you have like almost, a one and a quarter race cam? I, I don't know why you'd want one. <laughs> I don't know why. I, well, back in the day, you only had like you had a race cam or you had a this cam i mean there was or you put a boat cam in or something there wasn't there wasn't like now where there's like a million different manufacturers of a million different things where you can very finely tune and pick everything well back you can then you'd have grind like grind yeah you have a custom grind you can right. have something made but it wasn't like all this off-the-shelf options where there's a million different things that are just pre-made for you it's not right it was not always that way so anyway i got cams should be good for i don't know probably in in porsche horsepower numbers which is what does that mean just if you were to think of how Porsche would <laughs> classify an engine for its horsepower, okay, like just an SC 192 horsepower, 190 horsepower, whatever it is. If Porsche had built my motor uh-huh. and put it together with these cams, carbs, whatever, it would probably have around 270 horsepower, okay, which is fairly conservative. They were always very, very conservative with their oh. numbers. So it's probably 250 wheel horsepower somewhere, 240 wheel okay. horsepower, 260 wheel horsepower. I don't know. I'll never dyno it. But it should be good for another probably 30 horsepower over what I have. Gotcha. And it should run better because the uh, the cams are specifically made to run with carburetors, gotcha. which we know actually matters because when we talk about the overlap with the valves, yep. we talk about how the, the resonance intake, tuning, the resonance tuning with the intake charge, uh, it, it matters for the circuit and how the fuel is pulled into the carburetor, pulled into the venturis and released into the sure. into the into the engine. So the camshaft is critical to that because of how it opened and closed the intake valve. So we've got a little more overlap now, which should maybe settle things down a little bit in terms of the, you know, just what are the, you settling? Settling down seems like a terrible idea. Settling down the the <laughs> the pulses of the uh, of the intake charge of the valve closing, stopping and closing. There's a little bit more overlap, so okay. so maybe things will just kind of be a little more rounded off. And but the the power is going to be way up, not I mean, settled down. Yeah, not settled. That's not what I mean by settle down. <laughs> this is burnouts all. We're going to settle down this engine. No, I guess it I mean, mellow this thing out. Power up to eight thousand RPMs, which my rev limiter. I'm not going to do that. I think my motor is probably built for 7,500, 7,800. Yeah, I think yeah. We're gonna, right now it revs to 7,200, where my worn out distributor is or my worn out distributor rotor <laughs> yeah, yeah. has a little spring in it right i know and when you the more worn out it gets the, the higher spring. your revs go <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly exactly so yeah it's it's as it rotates there's a little weight attached to a spring that disconnects the the coil wire from the rest of the of from the the end of the distributor rotor yeah so it breaks the connection it's the simplest way to have any sort of basically red line rev cut right right and so that's, i had to find one from a fiat 500 the old fiat senco yeah to use in my magnili Mirelli, whatever the italian damn thing distributor i have on my engine for the one year only so i have a 6800 rpm rev cut that i stretched out manually a little bit to yep. get to 71. Well, mine is from a uh, from a 2002, I believe, like a BMW. Oh, so yours also is not made for your it's engine. It's not made for my okay. It's not made for my engine because I think they had uh, 7,000 and they had 6,500. And yeah. I think there's a 911S version. Okay. But I don't know if it fits my my distributor. I don't know. This is the one I have. It works right. Yeah. All right. Before we get into a little bit more news, what have you got for us? Yeah. 
Yeah, let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Akin Driving Gear. They were founded by true enthusiasts who created everyday gear that celebrates the very act of driving itself. Most driving shoes, turns out, are designed for actual race car drivers and suck to drive in every day and a walk-in because you can't walk in these things. That's why they created a shoe that is made not just for the occasional day at the track. Their driving shoes are more versatile and than dedicated racing shoes and are far better for driving than your average running shoe. The Shift driving shoe is what I have. That's the modern sneaker for those who love to drive. They feature the rounded heel for more comfortable foot movement on the pedals and the unique heel-toe guard prevents scuffing during any technical pedal work. Check out the Shift driving shoe along with all their other apparel at akingear.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST for pre-priority shipping in the U.S. All right, Toyota has revealed that they are bearish on EVs and uh, says there's too much hype. Okay. Sounds like my kind of company. I was going to say, did you tell them to say this? Now, though, with governments propo- uh, now with governments proposing and in some cases confirming plans to ban vehicles with internal combustion engines, Toyota's president, Akio Toyota, has lashed out, suggesting there's too much hype surrounding EVs. When politicians are out saying, let's get rid of all cars using gasoline, do they understand this? No. He said Thursday at a new conference hosted by the Japan Automobile Manufacturers Association, the Wall Street Journal reported. No, they don't. Exactly. They, they don't understand it. Do you know why? Why? Because there's some lawyer that graduated from a Harvard that has no idea, no idea, no idea what yeah. they're talking about. And uh, do you know who our new transportation secretary <laughs> is going to be? I did read this. It's Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. It's Pete Buttigieg, a mayor from Indiana, right? Yeah. Indiana. Also, I did hear he a fun has fact. no experience oh, whatsoever nope. in this field. That's, None. That's not true, Chris. He has, he has a very limited resume. That's very, not true, Chris. Right, he come. he had a pandemic of potholes in Indiana. I heard, <laughs> and uh, the incumbent that ran against him ran solely on a. Uh, basically promised to fix potholes that he did. Well, thank you, Mr. Buttigieg. I'm sure he's going to be a great transportation secretary <laughs> dealing with aviation, the highway, shipping, to every... Potholes. Potholes, Chris. It's, it absolutely blows my mind that... Did they just... Did they say, well, if you support me, we'll just give you a spot in the cabinet or whatever, and then everybody, all the other spots were taken and transportation was still open, and they're like, oh, that's right, we promised Pete a spot in the government. What are we going to... Well, just give him transportation. What could go wrong? The guy doesn't know anything. So now we've got this guy, and this isn't anything against Mayor Pete, okay? I don't... I thought he was a nice guy. I thought he was a good did, ca- candidate. Okay. Whatever. It doesn't matter. If you don't know, he's going to be in charge of the transportation, the Department of Transportation for the federal government? Yeah. This guy that has no experience? According to Wall Street Journal, Toyota's main issue is the infrastructure that would be required to power the world's EVs. Pointing out Japan, uh, he said between $135 billion and $358 billion would need to be spent on infrastructure alone if the country's vehicle fleet went fully electric. That's Japan. Yeah. He also pointed out that in Japan, most electricity is generated by burning coal and natural gas. Exactly. Which, which it's means not more helping. EVs won't necessarily reduce emissions. The second issue is the impact on the economy. Toyota said get, get, getting rid of cars with internal combustion engines would cost millions of jobs since EVs don't require <laughs> as much staff for manufacturing, which is what we've been saying for like a year. This is people, there's, people want this so badly, so badly that they're willing to overlook anything and just go, well, it'll work itself out. 
It'll work itself out. We got rid of horses too when cars came along and all the blacksmiths went out of business. This is a little bit different, okay? This isn't 1904. This is 2020. We have billions of people on this planet and a huge global economy that is going to suffer from this. Uh, Toyota still doesn't sell any EVs in serious volumes, but that's going to change soon despite the views of its chief. Toyota's committed to launch, launching at least 10 battery electric cars. What do they have for an electric car right now? Obviously, they have the Prius is still hybrid. All their really vehicles think, are hybrid. They, 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 they're doing I'm trying much. to think. Um, I, as far as I remember, Toyota was into hybrids, weren't they? Right. Weren't they super into hybrids and... Yeah, with the, something called the Prius. Yeah, of course they were. Of course they would be in a hybrid. They've got that figured out. But I, I just I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like you know we had a, we had infrastructure guy on was last week, two weeks I mean, ago. Two weeks ago. It's, this isn't going to. This isn't. I as easy as he made it sound. Yeah. This is not going to be easy, and I don't know where all this money's coming from. We are in, coming out of the the worst. Uh, financial crisis which has not yet been realized in my opinion true the financial situ everything that happened during covid is just kind of like this dark shadow that's looming behind everybody right now this is like this economic uh thing that everybody hasn't grappled with yet it is the biggest can to ever be kicked down the road in <laughs> economic in modern american history what about 2008 remember that whole great yeah, recession was, dude the gdp is Tanking. Nobody's working. There is nobody buying anything. The oh, have you seen my doorstep and all the Amazon that's coming in? We are single-handedly keeping the economy going. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, people like me that have lost their jobs and lost their yeah. businesses no, aren't buying things. And it's bad. The, the number one employer in the country is what? The government? No. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good answer. No, it's a large employer. But no, it, it is uh, restaurants. Oh, okay. servers, yeah, yeah. waitresses, yep. service industry. And none of those people are working right now. They're not making money. They're not spending money. This is a classic. I mean, as, as cliche as it is, when the chickens come home to roost, it's not going to be great. And if people aren't making money and people don't have incomes, guess what? They're not paying into the government. Taxes. Taxes. And what does it cost when you're going to spend $500 billion on running new telephone power lines all over the place to charge everybody's <laughs> electric cars at 50 at a time at every target in Minnesota? Yeah, taxes. Yeah. Taxes. It costs yep. money. This isn't free. None of this is free. It's not free, especially if, if you're going to print the money. That's not free either because it causes economic imbalance. It causes inflation. Right. You can't just do whatever you want. You can't just manufacture all this stuff out of nowhere it has to come from somewhere there are laws of economics that have just been kicked down the road i just don't understand where all of this is going to come from how it's going to happen and this guy from toyota's right this is just one country is going to spend 500 billion dollars yeah, it's a big big what deal. about europe what about uh it's the soviet union what about china and iran and i'm sorry india and <laughs> it, i i think it's funny his point that guess what most of our power plants are coal fired still and so all these That's people because thinking, we've spent the last, what, since the 70s with 50 years going, well, nuclear is so awful. It is the worst <laughs> thing ever. Oh, this glowing green goo is going to be all over my dinner plate if we have a nuclear plant in our neighborhood. Oh, my God. Fukushima exploded because like, a bunch of idiots built it on a fault line. Will, will that green goo make me taller? It might. <laughs> it might make you grow an extra head, though. That's the only that's the only problem. Right. Anyway, I'm just saying it's no, I just think it's funny because the primary concern for doing this, this big switch over to EV is to be more environmentally friendly. But even 
the head of Toyota saying, look, all this electricity is just going to put a bigger strain on our coal-fired power plants, which are notoriously bad for the environment. They're a lot cleaner than they used to be, first of all. Coal power plants are and natural gas plants are cleaner than they used to be, but they okay. are using fossil fuels. Right, exactly. I mean, they aren't, they aren't necessarily... I mean, this isn't the days of huge black smoke, smoke billowing into the sky. It's not like that anymore. Okay. It's not renewable, right. but it's also not just like these belching black clouds. It's much cleaner than it used to be. I, I'll acknowledge that. But it's, I just, I don't understand. I still just, I cannot understand the infrastructure. And I think, I think a lot of people are just relying on, well, I guess we'll just figure it out. The engineers will figure it out. Government will figure it out. Private companies, somebody will just figure it out. And it doesn't work that way. I think that's obvious by the coronavirus. When it happened, everybody's like, well, the CDC will just save us. But it, they didn't, right? They didn't. And here we are. Now we're going to say, oh, we're going to save the environment doing this. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? I don't know, but everything's banned in 10 years. Guess we're just going to have to figure it out. Okay. Well, no one's driving anywhere anyway, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. (laughs) All right, moving along to an electric vehicle. Rivian made an announcement this week. In addition to establishing a network of fast chargers along interstates and through cities, as of course we've talked about, Rivian is planning to set up a network of chargers at various destinations in nature, Chris, such as mountain bike and hiking trails, kayaking spots, and popular rock climbing areas. Quote, we're excited about the opportunity to create Rivian charging locations that aren't on the interstate, that help draw you or enable you to go places that normally are the, not the kinds of places that invite or welcome electric vehicles because of charging infrastructure. That's from Rivian founder and chief executive R.J. Scarringe. Quote, we've spent a lot of time thinking about how you can essentially create these curated drives where, depending on your point of interest, you can pick different paths. If you want to stop midway through the trip for a one-mile, two-mile, or even a five-mile hike, you know, there's a route that you want to take, and here's a charging location you know what this is? right next this to it. This is the thing that everybody that likes to go hiking has been doing their entire life, is being like, I want to go hiking here. So what do they do? They get in their car, and they drive to the hike, hiking but spot. their whole point is, now you can't, because you have to worry about charging your EV. <sighs> so I suppose that if you're marketing your EV as an active lifestyle off-road vehicle, it makes sense that you better be able to actually drive said vehicle to these locations. I suppose that's probably I just, uh, can you imagine like, what, hold on. So, okay, you know, like all these really serene nature spaces and like you're driving into the middle of nowhere for your kayaking spot. What do you want to see there? A giant construction equipment that has to drill this line all the way through the bedrock to get a charging station right there. A lot of these I think are solar. I know Jeep was going to do some that are solar powered. Do you so have they, any idea how big of a solar panel it takes I to charge a car even a it's little not, bit? The solar panel is not charging the car. It's charging basically a bank of batteries that is there. So they're not expecting a high usage of this. Yeah. You know, they just. I don't know if that's the case with this. Yeah, I, I know that's. It. I think that's that's what Jeep was up to. Anyway, SpaceX has launched its SN8 prototype. Did you see this at all? Did you hear about this? Uh, I didn't until we started researching I watched, this. And I watched, watched it. this live. It was awesome. <laughs> okay, so SpaceX started sharing uh, footage of a Starship rocket, which we'll we'll link in the show notes. The rocket is called a Starship prototype SN8, right. and they launched a, a high altitude test flight from SpaceX's facility near the South Texas village of Boca Chica. Uh, the SN8 took off at 5.45 p.m. and scored, soared 7.8 miles into the air before heading back to Earth. So basically, here's here's what happens. Okay, this, okay. this, this thing is huge. It's, it is nine meters in diameter. This thing is built to carry um, 100 tons of people and equipment to Mars. Okay, That's, To Mars, Jake. We're going, that's a long ways. We're going to Mars. Yeah. That is 
awesome. I all I can think about is Total Recall, where his eyes, <laughs> <laughs> eyes are bugging out of his head and everything like that. Oh man. Anyway, <laughs> it's gonna be great. You're going to Mars. I did <laughs> terrible Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anyway, so this thing's massive, right. and it's supposed to carry 100 tons into because you gotta you gotta take everything from the 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 living situation that's going to be on Mars. You got to take equipment, supplies, everything. So we're talking. Weren't they going to do a supply run first? Yes, that's hopefully by uh, 2022, 2023. No. Yeah, that's their plan. Okay, is that soon? Wow. Unmanned. Uh, they're going to by 2025. So they're they're kind of like sprinkling in. Well, we could probably do it by this time. But that's when they want to go. So they're wow. testing. This is a test of that rocket that's right. going to carry this stuff into space and beyond. Right. This, it, like I said, it's massive. It's when you look at the video, you're like, "Oh, there's a rocket it's right there." Right. Think of 27 feet across. Basically. That is huge. It's big, and it's you know it's much much taller than it is wide, obviously, because it's a rocket. And it's, <laughs> and it's got. These- It'd be weird if they were just <laughs> launching a pancake. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, I was, I was going to go somewhere with all of this. But uh, yeah, no, we won't. Yeah. Oh, so there's, I, I, believe me, I know exactly where you were going to go. <laughs> so the thing launches up uh-huh. in this test. It goes all the way up to 7.8 miles. Yep. And then it lays on its belly. Yep. And folds the wings up. Oh, cool. So the wings fold up, the ones that kept it stable going straight. And it okay. has, has uh, I think it has three rocket engines in it yes it does so, and three then they, falcon yeah they shut off one at a time and then it has little thrusters on the tip which yep. kind of like burst air out to tilt it in a certain those are attitude controllers attitude right? controllers yes. yes um as we learned with our chuck yeager episode correct um anyway so this thing lays over on its belly the the flaps go up and then it just basically uh belly flops <laughs> through, the, the atmosphere. through the atmosphere <laughs> and then when it gets down close to the pad it tilts back up again Upright. And then it lands. It's just so cool. Or, in this case, explodes. Right. Explode. It almost landed. It was very, 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 very close. Yeah. Um, basically, Elon Musk said, the fuel header tank pressure was low during landing burn, causing touchdown velocity to be high in RUD. But we got all the data we needed. Now, I was looking to see what RUD was. It stands for, <laughs> I love this, Rapid Unscheduled Disassembly. Oh, my God. <laughs> That is amazing. So it had a ra- it exploded. Basically. Yes. It's no, it, it was disassembled. That's rapidly. Very, that's engineering speak. In, uh, <laughs> rapid right. unscheduled um, disassembly. So he says SN8 did great. Even reaching Apogee would have been great. So controlling all uh, all way to putting the crater in the right spot was epic. So Apogee is the peak flight that sure. you're trying to reach. Yeah. That's what Apogee means. Anyway, that's basically the apex. Um, yeah, I'm really, really excited about this. He says, Mars, here we come. Uh, SpaceX plans to launch additional prototypes to further develop the Starship. The SN9 is uh, supposedly going to be tested fairly soon. The Starship vehicle and the super heavy rocket launch system is designed to be fully and rapidly reusable, meaning these vehicles will be capable of making many trips from Earth to Mars and back. So what do you know about the SN8 rocket? It is giant. It uses three of these Falcon what is, what are they called the uh, we oh, looked this up because BFR. It's BFR which yes. stands for big F effing rocket yes it does yeah so it was actually um yeah it was actually first called the bfr and then when asked what that stood for he said oh it's the big falcon rocket but everyone knew it actually yeah yeah yeah. effing rocket so yeah as we talked about it's basically 30 feet across it is a methanol actually not methanol it's methanox fueled rocket which is methane mixed with lox oxidizing right when this thing was launching you could see frost accumulating on the outside of the rocket. Yes. Because it was so frigid. 
That just the liquid oxygen, I'm guessing, was so cold. Right. I've always wondered what that is. It's the same phenomenon if you're like grilling on propane, which Chris obviously never grills with propane. I have a propane. propane Never. Have you ever noticed the canister gets cold as you are basically evacuating the liquid? Yeah, it's a pressure differential. Right. It's thermodynamics. But basically, that's all that is. It's the same thing on the rocket, but it's just a lot more fluid going out being depressurized. And so it causes frost it makes it very cold basically yeah it's awesome i'm, I'm really looking forward i just to this think project. it's funny that this thing is fueled by the same thing that we fart methane yep yeah well you, you, have you ever you ever hit a, a, a methane, methane rocket <laughs> have you ever had an rud <laughs> so chris i have a really funny story okay it's about santa Oh, I love Santa. I love that guy. Members of the Riverside oh, my, Police Department. My kids got a letter in the mail that says Santa's thankful that the uh, Christmas tree is going to be outside. Good. <laughs> that was very nice that, yeah. that he they're responded so, to them. They're so excited. That is that is very smart of them to think of that. Yeah. That is very clever. Um, so anyways, members of the Riverside Police Department were dressed as Santa and one of his elves for a program aimed primarily at retail theft called Santa's Intervention. <laughs> I'm just imagining Santa like running and tackling. Oh, just wait. Just wait. (laughs) The Holly Jolly duo was posted at a local shopping center to catch to catch thieves with stolen merchandise as they exited the stores. So basically, they're just camouflaging themselves and waiting for thieves to walk out of stores. Wait, camouflaging themselves as Santa? Yes. (laughs) And his elf. Yeah. Uh, but was he just hit him over the head with a bag no, of coal? No, just or what? wait. Just, just wait. They also received a tip about a suspicious-looking man in the parking lot, possibly scoping out vehicles to steal. According to police, one of the undercover Christmas police, undercover Christmas police, <laughs> <laughs> caught. That's what I should tell my kids. They're watching. Santa's not watching right now, it's but the undercover, undercover Christmas, Christmas police, police are. are caught the three men stealing of all things a honda crv hondas are stolen a lot That's... they are a lot yeah uh one suspect was able to flee in the crv but the others were apprehended was Santa's couldn't keep up or what <laughs> well they were on foot he didn't have his sleigh <laughs> uh the others were apprehended in the parking lot leading to the bizarre scene that was caught on video which we will link in the show notes uh, oh my god but this clip looks like it's straight out of some like terrible slapstick holiday comedy like special that my wife would make me watch on the Hallmark channel. Okay. And I just, we had to play this one. This is from the actual video. This happened. Get him, Santa! <laughs> <laughs> and then he proceeds to tackle this guy in the Santa outfit. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, okay. as, okay. The, as the song says, Chris, you better be good for goodness sake. Yeah, so good news for rotary owners. We know that Mazda was releasing a program for the Miata where you could buy all kinds of Miata parts. That's right, right yeah. You could restore your Miata. For, like It was kind of like what Porsche Classic was doing, and you yeah. could basically buy all these new old stock parts. Yep, well, not only that, but they manufacture new parts as well. So they they right they, they yeah I suppose part. it's not new old stock it is it's new just, new stock it is new stock not new, new stock. old stock new yes. old stock is the dusty stuff that everybody charges too much money for right. new stock is what you just buy from the dealer all right so Mazda consulted brand specialist mechanics across Japan for the wear items most in need of replacement compiling a new ninety one part catalog already viewable on Mazda's Japanese website cool and I went through it and I looked at all the parts it's like it's everything that would wear out like hoses, vacuum hoses, belts, and there's a ton of hardware too. Which yeah, is I, great. I love seeing fasteners and hardware cuz that's, you know, that's always fun to put brand new <laughs> brand new parts on everything. Yeah. So this is I know that Mazda the rotary owners have been up the creek for a while 
I they've, suppose. Been, they've really been suffering with the ability to restore their cars. You see them complaining about it online all the time. This is this is great for them. I just wanted to give a big shout-out to Mazda for doing this. This is great. Uh, we'll link to the catalog. If you're a Mazda guy, you won't be able to read any of it because it's in Japanese. <laughs> well, Google Translate. Guessing, well, I'm guessing you would take the part numbers. You, it says, oh, like, yeah. belt, and there's, like, a little picture, and you can take it over to your Mazda dealership and, and get your new rotary parts for your Mazda, which is That is really which cool. Which is great. And I, and, I, and I love this. I wonder how long this is going to go on for, but I really, really do... Do appreciate it. It's about time. Most uh, Japanese Nissan doesn't do anything like this. I don't think so. No, Nissan, I hope to see more of this. Nissan doesn't care at all about it. It's well, they do care. I don't want to say they don't mm. care about their heritage, but it's not to the level of creating a new park catalog. So people, we talked to Fetter. He's got the three hundred the, the Z. Yeah, nobody makes any parts for it. Oh. So then he doesn't want to drive the thing because everything's impossible, like total unobtainium, mm. literally unobtainium. You cannot buy parts for that car. Which makes Jeez. you not want to drive it. Yeah. But if everything was available, you'd drive the damn thing. Yeah, and just so, repair it as you go. Yeah, exactly. All right, so Chris, this next story is coming right out of our backyard. Have you ever been to Elko Speedway? I think so, yeah. It's, it's a, a, little track. Circle yeah, track. a little circle track. Well, a group of street racers broke into a closed racetrack in Minnesota. Although, to be more accurate, if you're racing on a track, you're not, in fact, actually a, quote, street racer at that point, are you? I suppose not. No. So the break-in... Is this more or less illegal than just doing it on public That's what I was wondering! (laughs) So the break-in was discovered early Sunday morning when an officer with the Elko Newmarket Police Department stumbled upon, quote, dozens of vehicles and people at Elko Speedway. Now, Elko Speedway has, of course, closed for the season. How do you stumble upon So this was quite obviously not a sanctioned event. I'm sure he heard tire smoke and people shouting and headlights, and he's like, wait a minute. Elko's closed. What's going on here? There's no lights on. Yeah. Review of the surveillance footage reportedly suggests the group's entered by disabling a security gate. The security gate had an RUD. It definitely (laughs) had an RUD. That's what I was thinking. The officer noted vehicles both outside the track and in, but before they could organize an investigation, the crowd reportedly dispersed. So I don't think... Nobody disperses faster than a bunch of writers. (laughs) Have you seen Fast and the Furious? nobody disperses faster than No arrests have been made, though authorities are reportedly searching for leads in surveillance and dash cam footage, as well as on social media. So this is a case of being, like, responsible irresponsibly right non again I, yeah i wonder racing at a sanctioned track how illegal this is well obviously it's illegal because you're breaking anything but anything you would do with your vehicle on the track yeah I you say can't take legal. you for that is private property yeah what are they gonna say well you were driving much too fast on that racetrack <laughs> oh that was an unnecessary <laughs> <laughs> there's a ticket for four hundred dollars for reckless display of power well that's what this is yeah, for. That's yeah, a, yeah i don't think you're getting a ticket for any of that all right so uber faces a fine this was kind of a an interesting story and i uh if you have a kid in the car, maybe don't want to have them listen to this. Uh, Uber oh. faces a fine for refusing to give details on assaults. So the California Public Utility Commission has slapped Uber with a $59 million fine for refusing to wow. hand over detailed records on 1,200 alleged sexual assaults involving Uber drivers in California between Ugh. 2017 and 2019. The CPUC has been insistent in its demands that it release the full names and contact information of sexual assault survivors without their consent. Uber said in a statement on Monday, we oppose this shocking violation of privacy alongside many victims' rights advocates. Oh, so interesting. Basically, so basically what happens is you have your Uber account, you have like a, like something happens, they, they log it, they, they keep your information. You're right. They know who you are. They right, know who because you in. were in the app. And California wants to know who the perpetrators are who did the crimes, but in order to do that, they'd have to say who the victim is. And it's, it's well known that, you know, a lot of, a lot of women don't report, they don't report it. 
It's just they just don't. Which is terrible. Yes. Well, it's I'm not judging, but I'm saying it's it, terrible it, that they feel like they, that can't. they can't. Well, they don't want to relive it again. Is what it all comes down to. Uber uh, Uber just disclosed the existence of thousands, oh, thousands of sexual assaults nationwide in its 2019 safety report. Thousands How? in 2019. Thousands. Afterward, the CPUC demanded detailed information about cases that occurred in California, including the time and place where assaults happened and the names and the contact information of the witnesses. The CPUC order doesn't specifically ask for the names of the victims. However, in many cases, the victim would only would be the only witness. Yeah, because you're in a, you're in an Uber with the driver. There's nobody else there. So and a lot of a lot of sexual uh, assaults aren't going to happen with a bunch of other people around. I don't understand. Is this like someone party. being assaulted by another passenger in the back of the car, or is the Uber driver assaulting someone? Uh, well, if there's no other witnesses, that means it would be the passenger and the driver. If they're wow. if they're the only ones, Uber objected to this, noting that most of the victims had not consented to have their identities or stories shared with third parties. Even if the records were kept confidential, Uber argued a CPUC investigation of these cases could force victims to revisit one of the most traumatic moments in their lives. Yeah, uh, victims' rights groups like the Rape Abuse Incense National Network, otherwise known as Rain, rallied to Uber's offense. Rain is exceedingly concerned about the commission's ruling that the uh, the commission's ruling directs Uber to share a list of victim names, contact information, and additional incident details with the commission, without the consent of the victims. Uh, the vast majority of sexual assault victims choose not to report to police. Surely, they never envisioned that a state regulatory commission would require disclosure of information that they themselves have explicitly decided not to share with the state. I agree. I can't fault that at all. CPUC concluded that Uber had refused without any legitimate legal or factual grounds to comply. The agency held that Uber's actions were particularly severe because they had harmed the regulatory process. Hmm. Fuck you. Seriously. Your regulatory process? That's what we're... We're worried about harming the regulatory process? How about harming citizens that live in your state? Yeah. And obviously what... What the issue is here, and there's there's two ways you think about this, and I know this is a sensitive topic, but on one hand, you go, well, of course, you want you want to get the perpetrator because they're going to do it again. Sure. Right? So you want to get them, but you also cannot force somebody right to to point the finger. You cannot force that upon someone. That is against their that is against their civil liberties to Correct. force anybody to give that, especially if they gave it in confidence to a to a private entity. It's not the company. government's job no. to basically get them. To Absolutely not. After hitting Uber with a massive fine for refusing to name sexual assault victims, magically now the ruling allows Uber to submit its data in anonymized form. There we go. Problem solved. Yeah, um, that anyway, works. Government has no right to any kind of this data. <clears throat> it's it's truly up. It's this is a woman's choice. You're not. The government needs to stay the hell out of this. This is yeah. this is this is awful. Good on Uber for you know paying fifty nine million dollars to effectively protect thousands of women. True. All right. What else have we got? Well, on a lighter note, our last story here hopefully will make you smile, Chris. Scotland apparently names its snowplowers or gritters, gritters? as they're called across the pond. Is that because they scatter grit. Yeah, I think road? it makes a lot yeah. more sense. They're gritters. And true to Scottish form, these names are delightful. Here are a few of my favorite. There are a ton of them, as you imagine, because every single gritter or snowplow has its own name. Wait, Darth, they do? Yes, in Scotland. Oh, okay. So you name one like a boat. Yes. Okay. Darth Spreader. David Plowy, Fred, just Fred, Gangsta Granny Gritter, Grit Expectations, Gritalica. Ooh, I like that one. Gritney Spears, the Gritter Boy, Bug. she really spreads it around. <laughs> she? Gritty McVitie, 
Gritty Gritty Bang Bang, Han Snowlo, Luke Snowwalker, uh, Mr. So Mr. This, Plow. So what you're telling me is nerds are nerds. deciding. Well, you'll names. I'll get to it in a bit. Uh, Nitty McGritty, Ready Spready Go, <laughs> Sir Grits a lot, Slippy McGritty, Snowbagon Kenobi. Ooh, that one's pretty clever. Snow Come On Go, Spready Mercury, <laughs> and Sprinkle Bell. Oh, cute. So where did all these come from? Where did this start? Well, according to the BBC, Scottish primary school children got a chance to name snowplows back in a 2006 competition. The tradition has apparently continued on. The best part about this, Chris, there's actually a website where you can go and track where each one of these snowplows is in real time. So I can see where... Click on that link and you can find... Sir Grits a lot. And where Britney Spears is spreading it. Yes, and, uh, yes where you can. Mercury let's, see, is, is... let's see if anyone are active right now. Think of the resources to make this website. Well, oh, there's Mr. Plow. Mr. Plow's out and about. Oh, there's a lot, obviously, I didn't uh, get to, like Ice Destroyer, <laughs> Ready Spready Go. All right. This is just hilarious. We'll have to share this. Yeah, we'll share a link, and especially if you're England, you'll be able to see where Sir Glitz grits a lot is. Sir grits a lot is at, at any given time. All right, uh, uh, make sure you subscribe and leave us a five star review. If you haven't leaven a, left a review yet, really helps us out a lot. We, we would really, appreciate really appreciate it. that. On Monday, we have uh, editor of and founder of Triple Zero Magazine, Pete Stout, coming on the podcast. Really, really excited for that one. It is. It's an it's awesome a, interview. It's a great interview, and I really look up to Pete. And it's it was my pleasure, truly, to have him on the podcast. All right, guys, we will see you on Monday. Take care.